Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we are talking about how to direct and produce your own self-funded, micro-budget debut movie with the amazing Will Thorne, who made the movie Silent Night. Will is also the producer of the brand new documentary One Man and His Shoes, which is a fantastic documentary all about the Nike shoe and especially the Air Jordan. One Man and His Shoes was directed by Yemi Bamiro and Will will be back along with Yemi to talk all about One Man and His Shoes in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening. You're all superstars. Absolutely. Today with Will Thorne, we talk about how we went from working in the supermarket to becoming a film director, how he started as a runner in TV and he worked his way up the production ladder, how he made his first short film and how and why he wrote Silent Night. We also talk about how he got producers and how you can get producers and how going to festivals is a really great way to meet producers. How he got Judd Tilliard on board, the amazing producer of the feature film Sleeper Ashes and Two Heads Creek. How he cast the movie, how he got his friends as well in the movie, which includes Bradley Taylor, Kerry Crankson, Nathaniel Martella White, Joel Fry and Frank Harper. We also talk about what it was like on set and how it felt to direct a feature film after years of trying. We also talk about how he sold the movie and he got the distributor Light Bulb Distribution on board. All that to come on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, this means the world to me. I am Giles Alderson, and joining me as my co-host today is Lucinda Rhodes-Takra. Now, Lucinda, if you don't know already, uh, she's produced the feature films of Robin Hood, The Rebellion, Repeat, When the Screaming Starts, Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot, uh, Behind the Line, We Go In at Dawn, and recently finished principal photography on Confession, starring Cole Meany and Stephen Moyer. Thank you so much for those of you who listened last week to the Noel Clark episode, our 200th episode. Amazing, amazing. Thank you all so much for your lovely feedback. Wow, what an episode. If you haven't listened to that one, go and have a listen uh, after this. It is with Noel Clark, the actor, director, writer and producer. And he goes deep into his journey and how he makes his films. It is amazing. You don't want to miss that. Thank you, those who did listen. You're amazing. And we do have some shout-outs at the end of the show for some people who've been extra special on the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram in the last few weeks promoting us and helping support the show. Thank you. If you do want to support the show, then do go onto our Twitter page, at FilmmakersPod, because I think we are literally 20 people away from 10 thousand followers so if you're on twitter support us incredible right let's not waste any more time let's get to today's fantastic episode with myself and my co-host lucinda rose thakra and our amazing guest will thorne enjoy this week's episode of the filmmakers podcast hey will how you doing buddy is it is this on record or not? Yeah, I'm a we're big recording grumpy. now. All oh, right, no, 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 yeah, no. It's been a Friday. It's been, a, it's been, yeah. It's been. I've been doing producing work today, so I'm. I was a bit. I'm glad to be doing this because it's like, okay, this is a nice way to end the week. What's wrong with producing? Producing's yeah, we're nice. Just, <laughs> 
<laughs> for it some was people. a day of like admin and just like really oh, no. <sighs> yeah. Wait, so, listen, you love that shit you love the admin side I do quite yeah. like the admin actually I do <laughs> yeah. I do like a bit of admin see yeah, I'm not no. into it Will you're not either no. we're too creative for that whereas Lucinda's like I know she's creative too but you also really like <laughs> like doing the admin for some reason I yeah, do I like making everything's in a row everything's correct you know exactly people's brains work differently I don't care if it's in a row <laughs> it's all just like there yeah you know and then two weeks later you're like oh god I have to clear that up and figure that out yeah I, I was listening to a Noel Clark one yesterday and I was thinking I need me a Jason Mazza <laughs> everything he was saying everybody was like, needs yes. a Jason Mazza that's yeah, true yeah. that is yeah. true wouldn't that be great though I think Noel built up and Ian built up the fact that Jason oh no he, he loves all that shit Jason's probably like yeah. I fucking hate that shit. How yeah. fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, like you said, is like, you know, he probably does, but he's quick at it. And I think that's that's the key is like, yeah. yeah. Everything he was saying is like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you can drag the thing up the hill, but, you know, it's just, it just takes ages. And what was stuff. it that you were producing today? Was it One Man in His Shoes stuff? Were you doing all the paper for yes. that or was it Silent Night? Uh, there was a bit of both. There was some Zoom calls and chats and everything. I mean, Silent Night's kind of, it's just been released. So obviously there's lots of kind of updates. So that, that, that's fine. Um, that's just chat, isn't it? But then, yeah, yeah, the one man in his shoes is like admin <laughs> and banking and website stuff and, you know, the stuff you just like. Isn't it amazing that when we started off as creatives and filmmakers, right, when we, <laughs> after we'd done the acting or whatever we'd done to sort of get us me and Lucinda yeah. especially, uh, and was was... You know, it's like, oh yeah, the producing filmmaking said, yeah, it's great, it's going to be amazing, it's amazing. Because when you're an actor, you don't do that much admin. You certainly don't work out how a location fee gets paid or how your sound guy's going to get, you know, from that location to that location. You've got to hire the van and that's paperwork. You don't see that at all. And I think when we all went into this filmmaking malarkey, I don't think we all realised how difficult it was going to be, right? I mean, <laughs> no. what do you think, Will? Is <laughs> There was actually a book um, I remember, and it was it was on producing, and it's like the guy's opening was something like, you know, so you want to work with actors, you want to, you know, he kind of like lays out all of the best things about making filmmaking. He's like, well, then, you know, that's not what a producer does, kind of thing. It's mm. like a producer has to crunch the numbers, it has to like, you know, do all of like the stuff that's actually really really boring, like that. That's the really critical. You get to do all the other stuff, and you're in the orbit of all the other great stuff with filmmaking, of course course and creatively but mm. it's really critical that you get the shit done that needs to be done and that's mainly yeah like writing a hmrc <laughs> document or application that is you know a funding body that has a 40 page legal document that you need to kind of read through because someone has to read through it you mm -hmm. know yeah. um it was funny listening to that Noel Clark because it was yeah all the things necessity that's the thing i've been saying for years it's like i'm, I'm doing this out of necessity but, <laughs> you know, I, but not... I think that is what filmmaking is right we all like i say people think people are going to knock on our door and that uh, with that necessity thing I think just has to come with when you're a filmmaker when you're starting out when you, even when you're big time big time I think time. Uh, <laughs> I think it's always like that I don't think there's any 
unless you can afford to pay other people to do that. But even then, you've still got to be on top of it, right? Because people could take you for a ride. You've got to know that shit. Yeah, 100%. And actually, there's, I mean, there's, there's a great example. I think, I can't remember the film, um, was it Passengers or something? It was a film a few years ago, and it was Jennifer Lawrence. And Passengers, think, yeah. And, Chris, yeah, it was. One movie. of the Chris's. Yeah. yeah, and I think Keanu Reeves produced that, and he was trying to get that up for like nine years. <laughs> and you think, wow, if Keanu can't get a movie up, yeah. then, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's tough. It doesn't matter which level you're at. You just need to be grabbing the ball and trying to run with it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes that means cool stuff and sometimes that means paperwork stuff you know um yeah. and if you're trying to do it all which you know we're all trying not to do it all but at an independent level you are doing it all um yeah that that can mean good days and bad days <laughs> but will you had some other producers on silent night with you didn't you i had yeah so on silent night it's exec produced by a guy called judd tillyard who sort of came on earlier um as more of a producer mm. i think i met him more in a producing capacity and I was looking for a producer and I mean he's actually based in Australia so you know it just became quite clear early on you know right well we need a UK producer there was another guy Mark Lacey who I'd sort of met through doing one man in shoes and kind of knew and he you know he's a great like a real great indie guy well he's done Um, Frank and Weenie Isle of Dogs you know he's been he's been on he's worked in some big films as a first assistant director or you know um, production manager you know so he's been around so it was yeah, great. Yeah. In fact, he did the Banksy job, which I was in. I was part of that. So he was oh, involved wow. in that as well, which is really cool. So I did meet him there. Yeah, he, he's really cool. And yeah, like one of those guys who's just done a bit of everything. And, you know, yeah, he's line produced, he's produced, he's, he's AD'd. He, you know, he knows mm. how a set goes you know he knows that ecosystem so he was a great person to have around and then Bradley who um, is the lead in the film uh, he produced it as well his kind of role as a producer was sort of you know like it was it was later in the stages that you know we basically just gave him the producer credit because it's like you're producing you know he's yeah. picking up so much um, slack, so much work yeah so much yeah. slack thanks yeah and he really helped with casting and he picked up the slack put helping to push it all forward and I think that's so important that you have people like that around you when you're making your first feature film whether that's your actors whether it's your co-producers whether it's your director whoever it is you know is you're all part of that team and that's exactly it sounds like how it was on your set which sounds amazing let's tell the folks at home what Silent Night is before we delve deep into that and how you got it made in the first place so I describe it as a a sort of a Christmas psychological gangster movie in a nutshell I suppose it's a British what I was trying to do is a British crime thriller if you had to like put it in three words Mm -hmm. I suppose those they're they're the three things that are the kind of elements to it but yeah so um, (laughs) I should have looked at the log line before (laughs) (laughs) should I read it should I read it do you want me to read it hey go for it yeah yeah go on okay okay this is log line Mark in your Best actor's voice, Giles. Yeah, please. yeah. Like okay, the Hollywood. Can you do the Hollywood? The Hollywood. He's, okay. he's from a guy. I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Mark, a low-end South London hitman, recently released from prison, tries to go straight for his daughter, but gets drawn back in by Alan, his former cellmate, to do one final job. Nice. It's pretty I'd terrible. Watch it. I'd watch it. Good. Was it good? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. I've heard that. Yeah. On my time. I never wanted any of this. Hello, little Miss Daisy. Daddy. What do you want for Christmas this year? A real pony. A pony? 
if you can't be trusted to be in the same place you say you're going to be, there's really nothing I can do to help you. If I don't get some decent money quickly, then I'm going to lose my door. Bloody hell! I never thought we'd see each other again. You look like you've seen a ghost. Reckon me and you can make some serious money if we put our heads together. Oh, you had some trouble inside. Good to have you back. Time, not back. They won't stop contacting you. They want you. They'll just keep going. You know as well as I do, Mark. This won't end well. He might be more trouble than he's worth. He's killed me. Be careful, bro. They got their eye on you. Tell me, when did killing people become so hard? If I could give up one good Christmas, I'd die a happy man. Yeah, it's Silent Night. It's it's amazing movie. I I literally just played the trailer uh, after I did that because I was so good. Um, in fact, you probably didn't need it because I was so good. Uh, <laughs> you sold it. I started off trying. I thought should I go American? It could have gone anywhere. But anyway, um, so let's jump back to how you actually started because. I want people to know how to make your debut film. What are the difficulties of doing that on your own, producing, directing, writing, and how it is to get that actually over the line and get it made and get a great release like you have with Lightbulb Distribution. So let's jump back a little bit about you and your career to get to that point. Because I know me and you met in Cannes uh, in 2018 uh, on a bus going to play in the Cannes soccer game. Um, Europe versus the rest of the world and we were on the same team yeah I I think I played before but you played up front and I played defence so I don't think we really met until we were just leaving on the bus and it's like oh yeah we were on the same team right yeah (laughs) that's true yeah we did because we were so far away and it was raining so heavily we couldn't see anyone it's a big pitch it is a big pitch felt like a big pitch anyway that day was so claggy Uh, it was finished three all if anyone cares Um, it was a great game it was actually (laughs) I miss not playing this year I was really looking forward to it Um, but anyway so we met mainly on the bus coming back didn't we and had a really good chat and you were saying at that point you wanted to make your feature film you're like I've not made one yet but you're in the middle of making one man and his shoes you're producing that and you produced a load of great content online stuff load of shorts load of brand media how did it start for you why did you want to become a filmmaker in the first place was there a, a movie when you were a kid that really stood out for you you know was there, was what was your first cinematic love I suppose yeah, well, it's probably a bit of a cliche, but maybe it is my age. Is It was Goodfellas, basically, which, you know, you can wow. sort of see having made Silent Night and mm-hmm. there's a couple of nods in there. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I just distinctly remember being um, about 14. It was the first time I really kind of got what a director was because of the music that was in the film mm. there's, there's a little bit do you know the bit where um, everything's going wrong and you go to the meatpacking thing and they open it up and there's like a frozen dead body and yep. they're basically there's this kind of montage where they're kind of like oh it's all going wrong and he used the end bit of Layla by Eric Clapton mm. it's like really, really it's really weird Layla. like you know yeah, that, that's that's Layla, right? Yeah, and it's like, you know, really like guitar and everything. But then it kind of goes into this weird bit towards the end where it sort of goes into the piano. It's like, just, yeah, it's very... And so I just spotted that. I was really into kind of, you know, Eric Clapton and 70s kind of blues and all this sort of stuff. So I, I do, I just remember the specifically thinking, that's weird. And, you know, so it kind of made me find out 
well, who made that choice? Why, you know, who, who's picking Eric Clapton around here? Um, mm. You know, and then that's where you go, oh, well, it's Martin Scorsese. And then that's where I think it really all, that was the light bulb moment. That's a job and that, there's this one person that's doing it. So I think that's where I kind of, yeah, definitely got a real kind of passion for, oh, that that's a thing that's cool. I wonder if I could do that. And, then, and obviously you think, well, how the bloody hell are you going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and and what, what was your process then from going from that? And obviously there have been other films and other influences, but how did you go from there going, oh, that would be really cool? Was there a path for you? Did you even think this was a possibility? Uh, no, there was kind of no pathway at all. Didn't go to college, didn't go to uni, didn't do anything basically, just went full-time at Tesco. So at that point, you're definitely not thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be the next Martin Scorsese. No, <laughs> you know? wow. Okay, you were so, full-time at Tesco then at that yeah, point. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So that's okay. what that's it. I was like, I was out of schooling and I was working part-time at Tesco. So it was like, well, go full-time? <laughs> I didn't really have many other options. Um, and when you're sort of 16 and you don't really have anything, you quickly learn there aren't many options. Mm. Um, <laughs> I remember like having a conversation with my mum, you know, between jobs. Like, what do you want to do? And it's kind of like you know I'd love to make films you know and she was kind of like bless her to be fair she sort of said well you know let's see if there's a night school let's see you know like same thing you know like try and do something um, and there was a summer school at Wimbledon Art College and it was like just five days of just a video production course you know we lit some things and then we did editing and it was all you know using the turning right. things and all of that sort of stuff and <laughs> And actually in that, I was able to kind of, you know, whatever we made, which was just a load of old rubbish, but that, that was the best bit with the editing is then, you know, because then I was like, oh, well, can I bring music in and just lay whatever music I want? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, great. So, you Layla know... Layla gets played. Yeah, yeah basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I, basically, off of the back of that, the only good thing about, you know, sort of being just working at that age was that I was earning money. So I then went and bought a DV camera and was like, right. Yeah, and I made a little short film, which is called Breakem, which is what I've, you know, named my company Breakem Films after, um, which essentially nice. was just my mate doing bombs. But, <laughs> but it had a kind of little three-act structure. Um, what, and at the beginning, it had the middle visual gags. Yeah, right. yeah nice. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know what? We used to watch it and it used to get big laughs, you know, and you'd go around and be like a gathering of people mm -hmm. and be like, oh, yeah, I'll bring Breakham along, you know, and you'd shove the VHS in and, you know, 10 people would watch it and it would get the laughs when it's supposed to get laughs and it kind of. And I suppose I probably held on to that for many, many years. It was like, oh, yeah, well, like, I did it. I actually did make a film and mm -hmm. it kind of worked, you know, it kind of like did what it was supposed to do, which is, you know, titillate us for, you know, whatever. The, the problem was is that I couldn't really show it. <laughs> because of the content, yeah. <laughs> because of the content. You go yeah. to prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, my, my parents never saw it, even though they were like, oh, you bought a camera and you're upstairs editing on a VHS thing. Um, yeah, I just never showed it. To them. <laughs> I bet they thought you were really dodgy for a while. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think they knew that. that. I think they knew that. So that's fine. All right. So you made Breakem as your first sort of short, if you like, which mm. is incredible. At what age? Eighteen, something like yeah, that. 16, yeah. something eighteen. And and from there, what did you do? You'd done your five days at college. Now, what did you do to go? Okay, I want to do this as a career because it's fine to go make a short on now. You can do it on your iPhone. But how do you jump from there? to actually having a career like you have from it. I knew I wanted to go and do that. And I kind of knew that I could do it. Like it was possible. Mm. 
I just would have to somehow get my foot in the door and somehow just do it. But I, I knew that when I did, I'd have to be very dedicated. I'd have to just be like, okay, this is it, I'm all in. So that's why I sort of dicked around in my early 20s, got that all out of my system. Oh, and then God. I was like, okay, right, yeah. ready, ready to do this, you know, I'm, I'm go for it. Because I think the thing is as well, and this is, you know, a lot of, of what we'll talk about, but, you know, making an indie film is just a thing. You know, really, I sort of look back and everything I've done, it's like what I was doing on Breakham is pretty much not any different to what I've just done. Mm. It's the process is the same. It's the same. And I kind of got into the industry basically to, you know, because it's like, well, I don't want to work in Tesco anymore and I don't want to do sure. all these other things. So I'd rather... Yeah. You know, if I can do this and pay my rent, great. You know, I've won. I've won. Um, and then I'll figure out and hopefully get opportunities or, you know, meet people, get get my hands on better equipment. You know, I just saw it as a way in Trojan horse it, basically, and then hope that through the industry, you know, perhaps I'll get to do what I want through that path. So I, I, got, I got a job as a runner. You know, I was like T-boy, all that sort of stuff. I did that for... I actually did it for quite... I, I worked in commercials and, and that kind of world, um, for about six months and, you know, <clears throat> did, uh, I'm still quite cool. You know, it was like, you remember there was, a, they did remade Alfie, you know, I ended up being a runner in the post section of that. And it was, you know, just like whatever jobs, like running around, taking costumes back to places, you know, but then in that sort of service, some commercials I did and some music videos, it was all that mm. film world, exactly where I wanted to be. Um, and they were still shooting on film and all the rest of it. So, you know, I'd be driving cans of film to Soho and stuff like that. Um, you know, running between Shepparton, all, all that stuff. So it was, I was just mm. like wide eyed, like, this is amazing. This is kind of where exactly where I want to be. But it was hard because, you know, it's very sparse, work and you don't know anyone and you maybe get one or two days of work a month and you know that was like you know it, was, it wasn't sustainable really I mean it would have been if I'd have dug my heels in and kept doing it but it just at the time it just wasn't happening um, although to be fair I would have kept doing it but what happened then was I knew someone else who um, was working at Tiger Aspect and you know he was he was sort of running and he said oh they need a runner next week in the comedy and entertainment department will um, and I mean apart from film comedy is my other massive passion so I was kind of like great you know I'm mm -hmm. not going to do that it was way less money than sort of day work in the film more sort of more film industry where you could I think back then I was probably earning 150 quid a day right. 175 quid a day bad, or something to run yeah. around like right. delivering film yeah. cans I was like yeah. made up you know um, but then in TV I think it was about 200 <laughs> quid a week and you were working you know like proper, proper yeah. 60 mm. hour weeks um, first in mm. last out you know <laughs> making tea all day but I was in a comedy department and I thought oh well this is pretty cool this is pretty cool mm. as well isn't it um, you're building your CV like as well though weren't you because you were obviously exactly exactly but at that time I did actually walk around you know I just went I just walked around Soho I just knocked on doors and, and handed in this nice. crappy CV and just tried to try to get FaceTime and just you know blah 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 and mm. that actually did work. I like that because it shows initiative and to be honest when people do it to me yeah, it's better. We, 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 we brought a girl on to the film I just finished The Stranger in Our Bed Ellie Wells I was uh, in the car with the producer Dean Fisher when she rang up and she'd already been trying to ring up and how she got his phone number she'd been round the house to get it and because she rang up made the effort she said I live in the area I know you're filming can you give me a chance we did and she was fantastic <laughs> amazing on set 
Yeah. It's yeah, important yeah, to yeah. do that. Yeah, I'm sure she was because yeah, she had she hustle, had hustle and she yeah. wanted to be there. Yeah, she was amazing. <laughs> so it does make a difference. So you have to do that. You have to. Yeah, you have to. And then so uh, long story short is that, you know, that week that I covered someone um, in that department, you know, I kind of did a good job, really. I was a good runner, you know. I make good tea. <laughs> I'm helpful. <laughs> I literally yeah. would run. Um, People notice, just, though, Will, don't they? They, they yeah, You well, notice yes. if someone's good. You notice if you someone's notice. bad as well. Mm-hmm. But Oh, of course, yeah. of course. The game plan's still there. I'll still get access to kit. I'll, I'll, I'll keep meeting people. And, you know, as I will go, I will just make stuff in my spare time, basically. I'll go off and make these shorts and I'll do all of that. Because you did. You made the first short you, officially made because it's on IMDb uh, was Rosie uh, in 2012 and then Slap in 2013 uh, and the one for Rent was this the point where you were like look I'm getting okay work in TV it's not necessarily where I want to go and like you say you started to branch out and go I'm going to make my own path here I'm going to make some shorts yeah 100% it was a case of I mean, I often, uh, I've said sort of before, because uh, I, I got up the ranks pretty quick as well in TV. Mm. Um, it, although I had a long time sort of running, which which what I was doing there was scanning. Yeah, you know, and you're meeting like people. They, they need to know Will's a cool guy. Actually, bring him on. He's good at this. That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think within about five years, I'd got to like a producer-director sort of level, which, you know, is, is sort of respectable. I mean, it's sure there's quicker. I'm sure there's a lot longer. There's another thing with TV where... The there's a bit of a glass ceiling, you know, after PD. I mean, that's it, really. You could see that, okay, well, even though I've got to this level, I'm still, no one's ever going to hire me for that drama or comedy director's gig Mm. because that's just, they just don't look at you in that way. Is that because you were doing more light entertainment stuff rather than the, because you were like Paula Grady show, things like that. It was Lenny Henry. It was much more comedy based stuff. It wasn't like, say, a drama or a, you know, a comedy drama. It was light entertainment. Yeah. I, I just, do you know what? I don't even know how you get direct to work. I honestly don't, you know. But I can tell you that being a PD is not, you know, you have to you have to get very lucky, and you have to be in the right place at the right time. Basically, say like a people do nothing, just do nothing. You know, mm-hmm. those kind. Of, I've worked on two or three things like that. That you're in a development deal with the BBC or something like that, and you get close and it just doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like most things don't, and that's how I would have got hired as a director and then suddenly been like, oh, okay, I'm a director. But as a producer-director, you're kind of, you know, you're that. And whether it's fact and entertainment, any type, really, reality, whatever it is, um, you know, it's kind of looked upon as, you know, you kind of, you do it all. You shoot, you do sound, Mm -hmm. you produce, you direct. You know, it's it's a nightmare. With all that experience, Will, uh, then it must have made it so much easier for you to go off and make a short film then. Yeah, to go off and then make a short film I was just very confident of like, let's just go and do it. Um, it was always the script. It was always the writing. That was always the problem. That was what always sort of held everything up, to be honest with you. Right. And do um, you think you got better at the writing over time then? Because obviously Silent Night's written very well and that's just you writing mm-hmm. it. I mean, obviously you get help with people, but it, it, did you how, how did you learn to become a better writer? Um, well, no, what I did is I wrote for Rent and very much like Breakham, it was such a long, laborious, killer process. Well, I'm not doing that again. Right. Um, basically, let's find writers, you know, and that's sort of what I did. We had a script that was in development with the company and I was sort of attached to direct it. Okay. Um, went into turnaround after, you know, 18 months or something. And this is a feature, you say? That was a feature, yeah. That 
experience was very much formed all of Silent Night because when that went into turnaround and when I hadn't been the writer and I had no ownership over that project in any way, shape or form other than, you know, conversations and kind of like, well, it'd be great to, we could do this. It was just kind of like, I was just back to square one, but I was, you know, I'd lost another 18 months, two years of my life thinking, you know, getting these near bikes to what you're trying to do. I think this happens to a lot of first-time filmmakers. Mm. There's no question about it, Lucinda, right? You're, you're on this path to try and make a film and so many people listening to this podcast are going, how do I make my first film? Which is why it's fascinating talking to you, Will, especially your journey. And the fact for me and Lucinda, certainly for me, it was I got burnt so many times, got hurt so many times by, and mainly because I just had one project, and like you said, Will, just one project and I hadn't written it. Or if we had, it just went off in the wrong hands or there was a real problems. And it sometimes takes you to write it, get your stamp on it, certainly have contracts in place and then move forward with it even if that doesn't happen at least you've done that you had some ownership of it but there's nothing worse than it getting taken off your hands and you can't you're not involved anymore you're, you're not directing it um did that also giles recently? on yeah. previous podcasts you've said um which is great to just bring that up again because the pain of losing a project is is awful especially mm-hmm. being your first so having several um juggling at once it's not so painful when you lose one which is something you said a couple of podcasts ago, Giles, and it's worth remembering. Oh, I totally it's really important. agree. Yeah, yeah. Just don't have just the one. I don't know. That's easier said than done because you spent ages writing one. But then come on board someone else's as well, and then try and write another one. And over the years, suddenly you've now got three projects that you own. And whether they get made or not, at least you own them. And at least that hurt and pain of someone just going, yeah, no, no, you're not doing this anymore. It isn't going to happen to you. And I think that's great advice. So that did happen to you, Will. So you were like, right, I'm not going to let this happen with Silent Night. You said, right, or your next film. At the time, you probably didn't know it's Silent Night. And how did you go about uh, making Silent Night then? You're at this stage now where you've got a career behind you. You can earn money by doing PD jobs on TV or um, uh, video director jobs on TV. Um, How did you go about going... I want to be a filmmaker. I want to actually make feature films. Yeah. Well, I suppose one of the good things at this point was that, you know, I was making moves and it felt like I was meeting more people and it was getting closer. I think there's kind of an important thing actually, um, that I I kind of, uh, from, I think even Breakham's kind of a weird one. It's kind of mad that uh, that got made and it's just sort of historic <laughs> then it's in there. But when I made For Rent, again, it was one of these ones where I took time off work. I had to really go, okay, I'm going to turn down work. I'm going to turn down jobs, everything. And that, I think you're right there, Will. Sometimes you do have to do that. Because otherwise, like you said, you could have taken another job that takes you out for another three months mm. or whatever. But if you sometimes, you sometimes have to be brave. And if the real thing you want to do is make films or build planes, you go and do that. Otherwise, you end up not doing that and it's too late. Yeah, 100%. And that's just committing. It's committing, isn't it, mm. basically? I was like, no, you know, I don't, I don't care. Even if it's a big money job, even if it was whatever, one a comedy gig that I was going after or whatever. No, I'm doing this short film and it's happening. And the great thing about that and committing is that then that translates to everyone you speak to and all the crew and everyone who you're kind of wrangling and going, hey, come on this journey. You know, they can see it. They can see the madness in your eyes. And mm-hmm. they go, all right, this dude's actually going to do it. You know, and, and, and Einstein believed 
leaving. And it was kind of a feeling I got in my gut. I had this feeling in Silent Night a bit later down the line was like, I just knew it was going to happen. And I kind of got that. And it was, it's such a great feeling when you know uh, this thing's going to happen because then you sort of double down. Oh, you've got it 100%. And it was around that time, right, that you had another script, feature film script on the go, but that fell apart. But you used some of that script to uh, inform Silent Night. Yeah, so the point was with that script is it was about kind of a serial killer that was on the road. And so when all of this fell apart, you know, I kind of dug up everything we'd been doing there. And, you know, obviously it had been at the back of my mind anyway, hadn't quite gone away. And I looked at it and was like, okay, so serial killer on the road, you know, I know I don't necessarily, it doesn't have, horror, maybe not, but, you know, really I want to do a thriller I want to do this kind of stuff it's, it's got the elements let me let me grab the core elements and let me sort of try and develop it and come up with it um, yeah and make Goodfellas you know what I mean You're yeah, like, yeah rip off Goodfellas and rip, rip off, off Goodfellas that's what it's about I loved yeah. and all the rest of it um, absolutely yeah so then I kind of had this thing of you know I was just stewing for ages on the elements that we had that we hadn't managed to get going and it was essentially a serial killer on the road so it was like okay you know he, he, he needed a purpose and I and I, I, I can't remember around the time it was like well let's just make him a hitman we just basically needed someone going around killing people let's just make him a hitman because then he's got a job <laughs> okay. again having been through so with, with that film that falling apart it was a little bit high concept it definitely had high budget so it was sort of never going to get made with us as first time filmmakers anyway you like you look mm-hmm. back at it so I just knew like this this was this was a kind of like if I, I you know if I have to sit the camera on my shoulder and shoot this feature this is how this feature is going to go down I was at that point it's like this is going to be low budget as hell we just have to I have to build this idea and script from that position basically so it's like right now we've got a guy he's got to go around killing alright well he's not going up the M1 that's for certain it's going to be happening in London so we can just do it on our doorstep um, and then in I don't Sutton. know where yeah we're doing Sutton and all South London then too easy um, then I don't know when the white van man idea came in into it but it was just thinking low rent you know what can we get that's just doable what's the cheapest thing well white van you know why there's a lot of white van men that drive around London that's a thing isn't it and I already knew if you're going to set it in London which is where we were this is kind of going to be a brick gangster film you know there's no getting away from that even you know like I said at the start for me it was a British crime thriller but that you can't sort of do that without being coupled in with the Brit gangster thing. But uh, I knew that there was an audience and London crime films and gangster films got picked up, they got made and distributed. That was very tactical. Yeah, so it's sad. <laughs> you mentioned that you find it difficult to write, um, or you did, and you find it much easier now. What was your process like? Were you very much like, look, that was my, I've got a kind of basic idea white van man driving around he's a hitman how did you actually structure that as a as, as a as a film because it is well structured it's a very well structured mm-hmm. feature for your first you know feature film as a screenwriter yeah it's a good good question um there's <laughs> a lot of sort of yeah i mean the the development of the script was a long long time and i think that was another thing that i was very kind of um, particular about it's like it just has to be good it has to be great mm. you know the, sc- the script did you get feedback then on it do you sending yes. it around yeah a lot? yeah okay. so I so that's how I structured that from day one I did the same thing as I've done with all my shorts it's like right that's it no more work 
Um, I think whenever it was, like start of 2015, not interested, taking three months off, um, and I'm just going to bash this script out. Three months, too easy. Um, not too easy at all. Yes, <laughs> it's really difficult. Uh, it's horrible, horrible. Um, yeah, so no, I, I used I used some, you know, the classic things. You've got the screenplay book. You've got, you know, uh, yeah, little things like that. All yeah. these screenplay yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah these loads. You're essentially procrastinating, really. That's all you're really doing. Um, yeah. Anyway, long story short, after three months, I think I did grind out kind of a draft and I, I just sent it to a bunch of people. And, you know, some people were like, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, Will, but um, I think <laughs> what is to, this? I think you need to figure out some stuff. Um, and then I had to basically go back to work. Basically, <laughs> you need I to, to figure out some stuff. Figure out some stuff yeah, mentally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort um, your shit out. Yeah, like generally as a director or, you know, as a kind of the details it's like fuck the details you know you, you get it he's the bad guy that fuck came the in details and, let's just yeah, shoot fuck this fuck the details that's yeah. the quote fuck me it's on a t-shirt fuck the details yeah <laughs> it's just you know like you get it you've seen it before come on um, yeah. so yeah, sure. you know that's working that stuff out it's just like oh really yeah. it seems like producing is like you know I'm doing HMRC you know it was, mm. it was not tax return yeah, I'm in awe quite... of writers I literally can just yeah. about text like, <laughs> and even they're dodgy but I mean yeah. all of writers that, that can you know create and focus and, and, and create something that's that can be lifted off the page I just I've tried to write a treatment once or twice and I failed epically um, yeah. so I you guys are amazing I don't know how you do it, it it's hard it is it's so a skill. so hard but like, like as you mentioned earlier about Noel Clark's podcast last week is that he it's about necessity and if you wanted to be a director therefore you had to have your own script you had to own it therefore you had to write it so out of necessity you had to write your script learn how to do that properly and like say it's almost one for one with you which is an incredible record you know, I've, got, I've written <laughs> so many screenplays that you know won't see the light of day so but it's also your experience and your it's not like you're 18 and you've written a screenplay you know you're at the stage of your life where you made a lot of stuff you understood film you know you understood the language of film which I think experience does teach you so now you've got your screenplay you've done that how do you go from there to actually getting it made because this is the bit that a lot of people struggle with you know some people can write a screenplay and it's there but how do you go from that to raising the finance to actually getting your actors getting it produced production managed and shot yeah well again it's a little bit like that thing I said earlier is like having done it all I still don't know how you do that stuff because we didn't raise the finance we didn't you know we kind of we made a no budget film you know which is a kind of like okay we don't have a budget let's try and get it for free and if we can't let's just pay as little as we can and then whatever the film so gets paid for so was it self funded Will did you self fund yes, it yourself yeah yeah so self funded yeah I suppose so it was self self funded so basically a micro budget yeah, basically like, this is what we describe it as yeah so you literally you made this for peanuts yeah do you want are you allowed to say how much you made it for um i never really know whether we should or shouldn't like oh I don't no know. you I don't definitely know. should you definitely should i really uh, all right <laughs> well we know you definitely shouldn't but actually it's really interesting for our listeners to know because if you've sold this in a lot of territories now already uk's done it's dusted you can watch the movie here so therefore it doesn't affect it it's only in other countries where they know what you've made it for well, sometimes they put the offer lower yeah well this is the thing is i remember so we got an international sales agent and i remember saying to him yeah you know like the film punches above its weight and it was kind of like i should you know it was like sunny corleone i, I, I showed a, a card they're like all oh, right so how much did you you know and it's kind of and then they but, offer you less well yes, yeah you've got to be very careful and, and I sometimes. think I mean you know I just uh, want to know 
Yeah. I want to know too. You Wait, can is this off record though? I, I text you. I text you. Um, yeah. No, we, so, we so made it for basics. Of, as my producer Mark said, we made it for fifty p in a Mars bar. <laughs> so, and it wasn't really much above that, to be honest with you. And do you know what? It's very impressive. It's really impressive because it doesn't look like it, right? And that's not me doesn't being gassed. Like that's it. the first thing everyone said is like, "Wow, this looks like an actual film," you know. And that's what I'm quite proud of. <laughs> I know? hate it when people say that. There's yeah, nothing they, worse, is that? That's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it always good, makes actually. me laugh. It wasn't bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, mate. Honestly, you've done really well. It's incredible that you did make this for nothing. Was that always the intention? then no 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 i've I've got (laughs) i you know i could take you it's 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 as kind of depressing as it is um for any for anyone who's listening so i i I finished the script and i because i've been meeting film people and one of the things one of the you know these execs have been saying is oh you're gonna go to berlin this year will um and my missus was german so i was kind of like you know i think he knew that connection or the rest of it and so and he kept saying it, and I kept thinking, why? What am I going to do in Berlin? I don't have a film in Berlin. You know, I knew what Berlin Film Festival was. But, mm, but it's more of a market in Berlin. Well, well, like and, but I didn't even know the market. Yeah, I, did, this what I mean, I didn't know anything. Like, he just kept saying it. And so I, but just because of that, I was like, well, let me look up why, you know, let me, perhaps I should be in Berlin, basically. Mm, and then you yeah, quickly find out, it. oh, there's the EFM, you know. And then so you go, okay. And around this time, I was actually making another film, One Man in His Shoes. This is the other thing with Silent night I made it concurrently with another film which is a bit of a nightmare in a way but mm, um, actually I'd made a taster for Silent Night as well uh, that oh, opening scene oh, okay. that opening scene which never made the film in the end yeah. that informed a short that I made probably when I should have been writing I went off and made that but I had a script and I had a taster and I went to Berlin mm. went to mm-hmm. EFM which and is I the just, European film market for anyone yeah. who doesn't know yeah and I just walked around and I just spoke to anyone yeah and uh, yeah I just doorstep sales agents and people obviously you know now a few years down the line it's just mental to think what what the hell I was thinking or doing well, I mean, but, you, well especially because they're it. not there looking for projects are no. they they're not there <laughs> this is the thing about markets so everyone knows that's why cans are worth going to because there is producers there who are potentially looking for projects but EFM or AFM they're not looking for pro- they're there to, to buy projects that's it people are there to sell already made projects if you're there with script in hand knocking on doors people are just like they're just going to fob you off to the assistant or the you know receptionist god bless them who's just going to get you going i've got this amazing idea and they're like yeah exactly <laughs> it's not gonna happen yeah <laughs> contact was... us here's here's the email of someone they give you a business card and it's all, all over yeah well the, the other thing is is they're like oh well, we're in london so just meet me there and you're just thinking you're yeah. never gonna meet me in london which never. i think i think it was it was more helpful for the doc being there i mean i completely it was a kind of a complete and no, a waste of time but yeah, one man in shoes is the doc yeah absolutely yeah, but at yeah. the same time that's where i met the that's where i met judd tillyard so i mean i would always recommend going there to markets go. having been there and I done do. it yeah mm, you can walk yep, around agree. i walked around and everyone custard pied me and i took it you know and i met a bunch of people um my, my instincts were right you know um mm. it's just it was like who the fuck are you where's your talent attached you know this is a timber operation like what are you talking about <laughs> like, yeah it is it's me wandering around yeah, it's i have me, no idea what i'm doing yeah, it's me just yeah. bumbling in going hey it's my first market you know help but um, you have to you start know. somewhere i think people should be yeah. kind to first-time filmmakers as well because 
Mm-hmm. One one day you're not going to be a first time filmmaker, and you will have a list cast attached, hopefully. Um, and I think that sales agents and distributors should be kind to first time filmmakers. A lot of them are actually. Um, Giles mm-hmm. and I are lucky enough to work with some very good people. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, there are a lot that will open the door to people, even if you've just got a teaser and a script. Um, it's rare, but it does happen. Um, but at least you've got that. Mm. That's the thing, isn't it, Lucinda? At least you were turning up with something. You were saying, look, I've got a script in this, which is better than turning up and going, I've got an idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just saying an idea. At least they could say, cool, well, look, at least you've got something. Send me that. And if I've got time, I might have a look. Or if they're like you, which is often the case, um, they might go, yeah, I remember. And that's the other thing as well. If you do meet these people at these festivals and you are writing to them, say something that, they might remember. So when you do write, you can say, remember, I bought this chocolate brownie to you or whatever the hell it is. Remember, I told you that that really shit joke. Remember, I told you that really (laughs) shit joke. Yeah. Yeah, that, but anything, because then you remember them, won't you? Remember when I turned up at your hotel? (laughs) (laughs) In just a slip. There was a sales agent, and they're not running anymore. There's a sales agent that I met years ago in Cannes, and his wife was called Lucinda. And that was always, every time I emailed, it was like, hi, it's me, Lucinda, not your wife. So it was like Perfect. kind of one of that, yeah, I held on in. to that. Um, it's an in. Always look for the in, people. It's so important to have that in. Don't just be like everyone else. You've got to try and have that hook or have something different. So, um, so after Berlin, um, where it, it didn't go as successfully as you hoped, was that the year that you, you made Silent Night on, on nothing? What year was it? No, so then that was, um, so this was 2016, I went to Berlin, and then that's where I met Judd. See, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I'm saying, is like, even though it was a complete shit show for my whole film getting made, it mm-hmm. was the key person I actually met who did get it made, you know, three years later. Um, and what happened is I met Judd, and, you know, he, like, great, whatever, pitched it, he sort of liked it, all the rest of it, and then, you know, sent me the script, you know, hassled him, hassled him, you know have you read it and he said yeah yeah um, I'm going to read it you know I'm going to be back in Europe for Cannes are you going to be at Cannes yeah sure met him at Cannes and uh, he's like yeah I read it it's not great (laughs) have you you got any (laughs) other ideas I love how honest he was it's just like oh god you know he's like have you got any other ideas I was like yeah I've got loads of other ideas but I've just spent a fucking year writing a script mate so (laughs) can we focus on this one please (laughs) yeah Yeah, just you know just forget (laughs) the other ideas let's how do we make this one work and um Yeah. I think also he had a producer hat on. He's going, well, thrillers, do they sell well? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and he'd seen a bunch of stuff that I had done was comedy and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking. That was a heartbreaking meeting, I have to say. And, um, mm. I sort of had to pick myself up after that a little bit. No one else had come back. No one else after Cannes. You know, I still was meeting people in Cannes. At that point, he was just another hopeful lead. He'd said in the meeting, you know, well, I'm not too interested in doing this, but, you know, we've got scripts and da-da-da. So after a while, I just went back and said, look, what scripts you got? Because I just fucking want to direct something, mate. So, you know, (laughs) even if it's a year gone, you know, I don't care. I just want to, you know, I'm desperate. I'm getting more desperate with every year. And um, Which doesn't also, doesn't look great, does it, to producers, if you're looking desperate and that's the thing isn't it because you get to that point and this is a fascinating thing to touch on that people who are trying to make a film do get I've got to make a film I've got to make a film I'm not making a film I was for 10 years you start worrying don't they you start worrying oh my god I'm I'm reading all these books I'm listening to podcasts no there wasn't podcasts there but you had that feeling of I'm reading all these books about how to make a film but 
I can't make a fucking film. Yeah. And it does get frustrating. Yeah. And that can come across. And you've got to be really careful. That's why it's good to be making other stuff, whether it's shorts, promos, music videos during that time. So you don't come across as desperate or who is this person who's saying I've got to make a feature also yeah. if you haven't directed um, for a certain amount of time and people look at your CV I've heard execs and other producers not ourselves but other producers say well they haven't made a film for X amount of years so there must be, mm-hmm. some, there must be something wrong with them and actually well no there's probably nothing wrong with them they just haven't got it financed or they've been focusing on other areas or they've been creating and writing scripts, even though you hate writing. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's true, though. It is yeah. hard. So, yeah, so I said, look, have you got any scripts? He said, nah, you know, well, let, you should be doing something that, you know, you want to do. And we ended up developing and kind of writing uh, another thing. And as I was writing that, I had Bradley come back going, dude, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you, you wrote this film. <laughs> you know, it wasn't yeah. that bad. We did a read through like yeah mm-hmm. it's not finished but like you know so I met Judd and Can the following year and said here's the script that I've been writing which is like it's cool and it's getting there but I take ages to write this is going to take ages to finish you know I'm going to stick a camera on my shoulder and just fucking shoot Silent Night just to get Bradley off my back and to get the monkey off my back and you know yeah. I just it's just got to happen now um, you know that's going to be quicker than this and he was like, oh, well, if you're going to do it for no money, then yeah, I'll help you. <laughs> Basically is what he said. You know, if, if, you, if, you, if you're that passionate and you can actually, you know, drag this thing in for as little money as, you know, as little risk for me as possible, then, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go in 50-50 with you. And so, yeah, that, that's what we did. That is amazing. See, I like that. That to me is a really cool story because anyone can say your script isn't good enough. Anyone can put you down as a filmmaker because it just might not be their bag or they might just feel like, oh, I've seen that recently. I'm not interested. There's so many reasons why someone would say no. But if you're passionate about it and it's your baby and you care about it and you think it's good and so do the people around you who want to make it with you, go make it. You know, you can do it. Yeah, for sure. Just go and make it because there's so many people that are going to say no. So many people trying to stop you creating. And I think just, yeah, just go and do it. And then yeah. it will lead to your next one because you've got a feature film on your CV or the doc as well. well. And this is the thing. So many people for me before I'd made a feature were saying, yeah, we, oh, we haven't made a feature yet. And I say this all the time and I really believe it. Even if that feature is not amazing. It doesn't matter. Someone like Lucinda, myself, other big, Ian Sharp, producers will look at that and go, well, they've been through the trenches. They understand mm. what QC is. They understand what, you know, uh, posts like and how to sell the movie and how to put it on posts, or at least understand that world in some way. And that saves so much effort and time for a producer. They go, okay, well, they've done that. They ne- they've actually gone through it. They didn't give up and quit. Uh, and especially on the lower budget scale, it's really important. So, so now you're in the stage where you go, cool, we're doing this ourselves. You've got Judd on board as a helper, which is perfect. And you're saying he's coming in with your 50-50. It's you, it's Mark, it's Bradley, Taylor's your lead also playing a character called Mark. Now you're ready to go. How did you go about doing it? Because you've got no money. How did you find locations? How did you find the rest of the cast? How did you get camera? I mean, I just hit the pounded the pavements. Basically, it was just like, right, we don't have money. Well, you sold your body. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Straight down the corner. Uh, Didn't get much, Uh, did you, Will? 
a ton of locations for like a no budget film there's just yeah there's a crazy amount of locations so yeah I, I just tackled that first same process before right I literally there was a guy who kept trying to hire me even in pre-production he was like just come and do a day for me here and you know I'm turning down good money and he's just like no no I need to you know go and work for zero money and shove all of my life savings into this I don't want your work yeah. thank you very much and yeah I just but call me in a couple of months because then yeah, I will yeah please <laughs> yeah, please yeah, yeah. you know please call me back or I'll be back in Tesco's yeah exactly yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> and so yeah just started looking for locations I mean like I say Bradley came into his own sort of helping to bail out water when it came to casting um, because of Mark's background um, you know he was very much sort of he did a lot of the AD kind of prep for the film and then helped that kind of process because I knew it was going to be such a nightmare filming it that, that's why I was very particular about the script it's like well if the script's solid I know that even if it all goes to shit, we're probably going to come mm. out of it okay because, you know, the script was good. So it was working with people like Joel and Nat and Carrie and Bradley. How'd you um, get Frank? Mr. Frank Harper? Yeah, so then Frank was the, you know, he was the missing piece, basically. And he was, again, yeah, he was, like, such a nice guy. And, um, you know, he was, the, the film was always, again, it was part of the design of the film. It was like we need a name and that will be the bad guy who can come in and do the three or four days, you know? Yeah, um, and Frank had been in Bendit Like Beckham, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels. He's, he's, he's known for his uh, gangster roles as well, which is probably something you were thinking about. Yeah. Now your, your locations, you, do you use a lot of your f friends' houses? Do you use your house? Because obviously you haven't got any budget. So what did you do there? Oh yeah, like it's it's a joke. Like when I I can't watch Silent Night without just going. This is just a joke, isn't it? Like that's my mum's house. Oh, really? That's my dad's house. You know, that's it's my great. mate's mum's house where you know we grew up. Will they ever let you use it again for the next movie, or were they? You know, because you know what it's like when a crew descends on a. My my dad won't. My dad's like, no, he's like, no, no fucking ever come back to me. You know, he's like still cleaning that's blood hilarious. off the walls and all that stuff. <laughs> what did you do for insurance then for some stuff like that? Did you have? I take it you had insurance in place. Yeah. yeah. So the the good thing was is look, we didn't have any money, but we had a lot of experienced people, and we did things properly. You know, um, to a point. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> Some days, you know, you're, you're, you're figuring things out. My big take home was you can do things for no money. It's just going to take forever because you have to go to, you know, there's, there's a Chinese restaurant that's in the film. Mm -hmm. I lost count. I went to every Chinese restaurant in South London trying to get, and I found places that I love. I was like, oh, this fucking looks so cool, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you go, you knock on the door, you get told no a hundred times, and then you find someone and then you go, you know, I don't know, can you do it for 300 quid? You know, and they're like, no. And then suddenly they just won't even talk to you well, anymore. Well, they can't shut you... the restaurant down. And 
we you can't afford yeah. to pay for the yeah. restaurant to be shut down. Mm. I was finding ones that I knew were closed on a Monday. You know, I was trying every single angle. I was like, look, you're closed. We just need to. We won't hassle you. Just need to. You know, like you got a fish tank. No, and to, until you know, and then things like that. You know, you just it's you build it from the ground up. You know, mm. like if if you're not finding that Chinese lo- location. Well, we have to pay, you know, we're going to have to pay guys, you know, and then you just have to dig deep and find that money. And uh, so it's, it's a very sort of back, but, you know, taking time to do that stuff, um, you, there will be a bunch of other ones, you know, if you go to 10 mechanics garages, you know, one of them will let you do it for like a couple of hundred quid One of them might have been burnt yeah. by another film company beforehand and be like, yeah, well, yeah, I'd love that. that. The thing. And my daughter's an actress. Could you put her in it? You know, it's stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. The, the funny thing is about filmmaking, like, you know, you're at the EFM or you're at Cannes, you're pitching your movie. Then you're just at a mechanic's garage pitching your movie like everyone you speak to because you have to right you have, you have to, to do yeah. that same passion let you know why are you going to let me do it because you can see I'm a nutter and I'm from around the corner and I just want to do it and you know I promise we won't cause too much trouble and alright alright well yeah fair, fair enough we'll let you do it whatever you know that that's sort of how we did it you know um, I, so I think knowing that things are going to take a lot of time that's my always my big advice people is get started because it's going to take so much longer than you think <laughs> how long was pre-production how long was the shooting how long was post so pre-production so i just quit work in october and we shot at the what year? very end sorry uh 2018 so and i pretty much just worked six seven days i just i just worked full time i treated it like a sport i would just get up and like right you know it was just like right. just just focus just do it just do it just do it it was it was brutal um so yeah it was like three four months of like me doing that and mark actually lived in edinburgh at this point but he'd come down and sort of help push things on or he'd be pushing things on from afar i had bradley helping with casting during this kind of time um and then the shoot was i think it was 18 days that's Um, good that's a good length of time so we knew okay let's do two separate blocks and we, we knew we were going to have to do pickups. We knew we were going to have to do pickups. Mm. So let's, you know, let's not only do pickups, but we'll do the, all the studio stuff, like two days of just hammering that out and then two days of pickups. Obviously, as you probably know, as you go along, things are getting dropped. Like, and having that pickups, yeah. you're like, oh, we'll just push it to push pickups. It to pick-ups. And the pickups, pick-ups got pick-ups, bigger yeah. and bigger. And yeah, that became horrible and laborious. And even, <laughs> even during the pickups, we would wrap and me and Bradley and Carrie would go and do pickups of the pickups ourselves right. in our own little second unit. Mm. You know, like once you'd killed everyone for 12 hours and they had to go home, mm. we'd go off and shoot yeah. other little pickups and little bits and bobs ourselves. Mm. So you were proper um, candle both ends at this point because you are producing, you had written it, you're directing it now. And how did you find directing then in terms of this is different to a short, you're now doing this over a longer period of time and arcs of characters. How was that for you and how did it feel? Yeah, it felt great. I, ju- I just like, I can't I can't say how much I loved it. You know, I just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, I just was like, I dreamt of this moment for over 20 years. I was I was there. I was kind of living the dream. And I kind of just, I mean, people might not say that, but I was, you know, um, that's how I felt. And I remember seeing, going to the edit after the first week, just have a look at some rushes on like the one day off. And the editor was like, oh yeah, so you're right. And I think he was just expecting me to just be a wreck and just like, oh, it's all going wrong. And I was 
was I was just really chirpy because I was just like, yeah, it's actually happening. And I just, I just, I love being on set anyway. I love being on location, all that. It's just sort of that for me is the sandpit, you know. It's like this is not a job, you know. I'm like I've stacked shelves, you know. Like this is mm. this is great. This is fun. Yeah. And I think because I'd written it and produced it, because it'd been going on so long, and I prepped so hard in pre-production. And that's why I had, that was all kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on set, kind of Teflon. Mm -hmm. Like, I know this. I know what I'm doing. Um, so there were, you know, and obviously we had to think on our feet. I mean, there was, there was days where we still didn't have a location fixed, you know, and in the morning I'm driving around wrecking, trying to find a location for that afternoon. Yeah, I've done that. So there's loads mm -hmm. of like blagging and figuring out, don't get me wrong, but I think for a lot of like the meaty stuff or the stuff, you know, or even like, the, you know, we did a one shot that just got figured out. You know, we, we kind of knew yeah. where we're going, mm -hmm. but that was like, you know, we shot all morning. Then we got to this location Half your crowd's not there. We didn't have a car, which is a massive prop to end. All that stuff's just happening in the background. You're kind of going, oh, yeah, you're sort of getting told in your ear. Yeah, yeah, we still don't have a car. And you're sort of going, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I wrote that in the script, you know, two years ago. And we've always needed a car. Why haven't we got a car? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm just going to have to go and look with a DP over here. And, you know, hopefully someone's going to turn up with a car. So there's loads of blagging and dealing with stuff. But... It, it, yeah, I, I prepped. I prepped. I prepped. Will was the assembly happening during the shoot? It was, but not to that sort of degree where you could be like, "Hey, let's watch the rushes in the evening and you know know what we got." It was. It was a workflow. Skim through was, it. Yeah. What's it was a red. Well, yeah, yeah. It was as much. Yeah. It was as much getting in, and I saw maybe by the end of the second week. You know, I could go along and have a look at a few kind of assemblies and stuff. But to be honest, by the end of the second week, I was kind of needed a day off. Um, but yeah, there was, I mean, obviously there's technical problems. There was, you know, no some stuff we had to use an FS7 for like gimbal stuff. Mm -hmm. Gimbals. And that uh, anamorphically was not working. Of course. And, you know, so I mean, I mean, how great yeah. is it now that, you know, the editor can just send me a photo on WhatsApp and kind of be like, you know, the, the camera assistant's going, well, actually it's this. And you're going, well, the editor's just sent me that. Um, yeah. You know, it's really you helpful. Can, really you helpful. can sort of figure, so, you know, the, that sort of stuff was going on. So you finish the shoot, you're very happy. Uh, then you jump straight into the edit. Uh, Craig calls your editor, fantastic editor on it for you. But then how did you actually sell the movie? How did you get it out there? How did you get it for everyone to see now? Because obviously Lightbulb Media did come on distribution, I should say. At this point, I'm back on a TV gig. I'm like absolutely money. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, see you later. I don't care anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember being like sat in a production office and getting an email from a sales agent going like, we'd love to rep your film. And I was like, I could almost feel like a tick. <laughs> I was just oh, it's like, lovely. We Those did moments. It. We did it. We did it. We yeah. did it. Those um, moments but, are wonderful. But then, but then you look to the then, contract. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hang exactly, on. Yeah. Are we going to make yeah. any money from this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we decided, look, let's just get this really tight, really polished everything, and then let's go back to some of these people. Because okay. we kind of know there's interest, but let's, like, get it really good. Then let's go to someone like, you know, maybe let's just aim high, you know, see, let's see. You know, and even if they say no, at least they know you. Um and yeah, so obviously then you get a bunch of no's, a lot of people kind of dither around. Um, and then, yeah, it's funny because 2020, it was kind of, 
you know, it's such a weird year, and it was, it was, it was. I was really pushing. I wanted it done. I was very aware that because it's set at Christmas, we wanted to get it out at Christmas. And you've basically you need it done and dusted by August. You need you need a sales and distribution by August mm-hmm. because they need that lead time to sell it in. Yeah. Um, so we had that hard deadline, which was great, and we were getting filmed. But you know, there was a question of like, do we just hold this back? We're like we could just hold. You know, we we knew we had a decent film or you know it was tight and all the rest of it and one thing that we needed to do was just get some decent artwork we spoke to a couple of people that made film posters and one of them happened to go hey you should um did you know light bulb basically and uh, at that time there was i think we were talking to one or two other people and yeah it got sent to them and i liked the look of them and then we got them on the phone that they they watched it and i think they got back like the next day which is always cool you know like after spending so much time you know that thing of like find champions for your project you know it's like clearly these guys are into it um, and yeah, like as all sales and distributors, they thought it was a good game. They sort of said, yeah, this is a solid film. We think we can do this. We think we could even get it on DVD. Um, we can get it out this Christmas. And, you know, it's like, wow. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. And also, the thing was, is being such a British film, we, we knew we had to, we had to get it distributed in the UK before anywhere yeah. else around the world was going to give a shit basically because you know we were, we were you know it is a very we, we play on British tropes in the film you know mm. it, was, it was very much uh, in there for that reason so yeah so it was kind of like do you know what let's let's go with these guys let's get it out in the UK and let's just do it <laughs> it's been around for long enough now it's been five years yeah. let's get it done and then suddenly now you've got a movie out there in the world uh, in lockdown and DVDs out there you know on shelves and that's an incredible achievement mate for your first feature film you know made on you know micro budget let's say and it really is it's incredible and what have you been doing during that time for to get the film out there in the world obviously podcasts like this and promos and interviews but what what have you found the best way to promote a movie like this uh on a for a first time filmmaker well we you know through Lightbulb um, we worked with strike um media who do pr mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you know those I do guys, know strike but, um, yeah yeah, I mean, they've been amazing. Can't sing their praises any higher. Um, and, you know, in this industry, every, you know, we chatted about this the other day, Joe, there's, there's middlemen at every point of the, you know, mm. every step of the way, there's someone. And, you know, you can try and you can either pay them <laughs> and they will generally help <laughs> you get to that next step. Yeah. Or you can try and do it yourself and it's going to take you loads of time and energy and you may not do a better job, you know. And I, I think undoubtedly they, you know, um, did great things for us. But no, I was, that was very strategic that I felt like, look, let's let's get us in the cinema let's get try and get a seat at the top table let's just get critics can't ignore us if we're on the the fda the the film distribution well that's the difference you get into cinemas then suddenly the bigger uh reviewers have to pay attention and they have to go oh okay here's a movie made for nothing which can be a hindrance and it can be a blessing you get more press but at the same time a lot of the big boys decide to don't care how much you made it for they don't care you know what happened on the day all the problems you had they just see it as the same as you know uh, avengers or whatever and they compare and you're kind of like well hang on we had a mars bar and 10 pence you know yeah and that's that 
Yeah. There's definitely no brownie points for that at all. And that's, that's something that you kind of have to live with because mm. you're walking around going, I'm the only one that knows. And it wasn't even really a press angle. No one really kind of, you know, obviously people could see it was low budget yeah. and people kind of referred to, you know, oh, it was a bit, a bit of a low budget, but whatever. But yeah, you're just going, yeah, if, if you knew, if only you knew. No, but it's yeah. such an achievement for you as a producer to go, mm-hmm. look what we made on nothing. I mean, I'm very proud of some of the um, low budget indies that, that myself and Jeet have made um, and but nobody cares and we're like yeah but look what we did on yeah. on nothing mm-hmm. it's amazing and they're like yeah. no yeah. yeah it doesn't matter does it but it's amazing it is like Lucinda said it's an incredible achievement it's produced but also as a director writer mm. for your first movie you know you what, how you got it made you got the team together uh, you got friends you got help you shot in locations nearby you did everything you could by asking you prepared your ass off and you ended up making your film getting distributed by one of the big up and coming distributors at the moment you got it in cinemas and you got it out on DVD mate that, it's an incredible achievement well done it's nuts thanks a lot <laughs> yeah it- amazing what a journey thank you so much for joining us uh, on this week's Filmmakers Podcast honestly someone's got to edit this it's two hours and that will probably be me oh god I'm Um, so sorry man (laughs) alright no we love the long story shorts (laughs) (laughs) yeah brilliant well done yeah really well done I'm excited to see what you do next obviously One Man in His Shoes is out now it's an amazing documentary but Silent Night uh, that will produce wrote and direct is available now on DVD and online so iTunes is the best place for it Amazon is that correct for people to find yeah, uh, well, yeah, Sky Store, like Rakuten, Virgin Media, the Lightbulb guys did great. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon, yeah, iTunes. And if you want to get yourself down as the Sainsbury's or Morrison's, it's sat there on shelves right now. So, But not Tesco's. Fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. What more do you want? Do go support indie films if you can. Thank you all so much for listening. Honestly, it means the world to me, to us, to everyone involved in the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you like I said like I mentioned at the beginning of the show we do have some shout outs this week uh, for some amazing amazing people so here we go Warren Bedensky Stephen Russell uh, Matthew BC Matt Steen uh, Martin Neely uh, Lee Greenhough Joshua Takax uh, Louise Ann Monroe Robert McFarland Laura Moskop uh, Andy Fosbury Oliver Milburn he'll be on the podcast soon Jesse Quinones uh, Jane Gull Mark Coleman Martin Sweeney, Karina Burrell, Rain McCormack, Richard Miller, Jason Mazza, Maxwell Cavanham, and George Popoff. Amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all your support and love and help this week. Uh, last couple of weeks, in fact. Amazing. So if you haven't, like I say, uh, listened yet to the Noel Clark episode, which was last week, which was our 200th episode, then do go back and listen to that. Now's the time. Go listen now. Go listen now. You won't be disappointed. We have some amazing guests coming up for you this year. I cannot wait to tell you who they are. I'm not going to yet, though. But they are absolutely superb. Uh, Many indie filmmakers and many stars and names you will recognise as well. It's going to be a big year for the Filmmakers Podcast, so do stick with us. And if you want to follow the podcast, at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter. And we are everywhere now. We're on Instagram, the Filmmakers Podcast, or Facebook. And if you've liked this podcast, then please do go onto iTunes uh, and give us a brilliant five-star review and tell all your pals about it, because that's how we grow and remember you can go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen just as Will has done and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next Tuesday 
as always. Until then, take care. Go make your feature film. Make it happen. Bye, Will. Bye. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Bye, Lucinda. Bye. See you all later. Bye. Bye. Bye.